0: And so the theme of Advent, as we talked about last year, is is hope. We want to focus on the hope that we have, the hope that we can offer the world because we have the knowledge of the fulfillment of Scripture in Jesus Christ. Hope is such an important uh, experience in our lives. I mean, when, when we do not have hope, we fall into all kinds of despair and destructive behavior. And when you look at a culture and you see so much despair and destructive behavior, as I think is, is easy to see whenever you turn on any one of, our, of the news networks, you, you see that the world around us is trying to form a life and live a life without anything to hope in. And so that makes Advent such a critical time for us and for the world. Or maybe put it another way, for us as a gift to the world. Because Advent is about stoking ourselves up in the confidence of our hope that we can take that hope as the light of Christ into the world that is still in darkness. And so we focus on hope in Advent. Last week, we started our our Advent series in Isaiah 11, and that's where we're going to be for the the four weeks of Advent. Isaiah 11 uh, is is written by the prophet Isaiah, who was a, a prophet in the nation of Israel in 800 B.C., 800 years before Jesus. He was anointed to give the word of God to the people of God in Israel. And he was speaking to a world who had very little hope. They had uh, leadership failing. They had the house of David becoming more and more political and less and less God-centered. They had terrifying uh, superpower nations uh, coming up and beginning to, to uh, attack and seek to, to uh, oppress the nation of Israel. In fact, as I shared last week, Isaiah is writing to that last generation of free Israelites before Assyria comes and really uh, takes away all of the northern kingdom and then puts the southern kingdom into a real vassal state situation where they are basically having to pay dues, pay tribute to to have any existence at all. But the kingdom of Babylon comes only shortly after that and and takes away the southern kingdom as well. So we are looking at a nation who is, is struggling to find hope and Isaiah is given the word of God to speak hope to this nation and to focus that hope upon the coming Messiah. So last week we, we began our look at hope with, with verse 11, uh, verse 1, chapter 11, verse 1, where we saw that God's hope is surprising. God's hope is surprising. It, it, is, it is never a, a, a situation where God's hope cannot come in and change everything. And that's what the shoot of Jesse is all about. Even though Israel had become a stump, God still had the power to bring life out of death, to bring a shoot out of the stump of Jesse, which is the coming Messiah. And so the surprising hope of God tells us that we are supposed to accept that we need God. We're supposed to await on God to act. And then when God acts, we need to align ourselves with the hope that he gives us. We need to align ourselves with Jesus. Now, in the next verse of Isaiah, uh, God is telling us, how can we be certain of the Messiah? How can we have certainty? How can we have confidence in our hope that this is the shoot of Jesse? How can we know who the shoot of Jesse is in all of these different people that are going to come and seek to to restore the world or restore the nation of Israel? What What is going to give us certainty? And so God is going to give us basically the fingerprint of the Messiah, the fingerprint of the Messiah. You know how fingerprint evidence works in a in a trial. You have you, you touch something and your fingerprint is left, and everybody's fingerprint is unique. And so, if your fingerprint matches, then it is a it is a deadlock uh, uh, conviction that you were the person that was there. And so, God, eight hundred years in in the past, gives us the fingerprint evidence to look for, to know who is the Messiah. And when that fingerprint evidence comes to pass, when we see that fingerprint match, then we are to have confidence, highest confidence, that this is the one who brings our hope. So, do we need hope? we, We live in a world that is wracked with all sorts of crises, right? I mean, I, I, I feel like we are just, uh, I, I mean, it feels like the news shows that we watch <laughs> these days are just interrupting one crisis to bring us the next crisis, uh, breaking news, and it's always bad news. But we, we live in a world where we, we, we suffer with the crisis of, of leadership. We, 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 if you, you look at polls in, uh, in how people are feeling, and, and the general sense is that we are all headed in the wrong direction, that the, that the, that the nation is not in, in good shape, the nation is not going in a good direction, and so that is a crisis of leadership that, that we all are kind of internalizing. Perhaps you are here today with a crisis of personal direction. What am I supposed to be doing with my life? Who am I? Where am I going? What am I supposed to be focusing on? What is the will of God for my life? Perhaps you are here in a crisis of faith. What what do I believe? How do I know I can believe in anything in this world? So we, we deal with crises at multiple levels, in the, in the world around us, in our own life, and in our own heart, right? And we're probably all dealing with multiple f- crises at the same time. And when we're in crisis, what is the answer to those crises? What is the, 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 the place where we can find certainty as we feel in crisis? The answer that we're going to get in the, the passage today is it's the Holy Spirit, The Holy Spirit is the one who gives us the answer, who gives us the fingerprint evidence to know where we place our hope. You see, in Isaiah 11, verse 1, we're told that a stump of Jesse is going to come. And then we are told in Isaiah eleven two 2, how we will know that that Messiah has come. And the way that we will know is that the Holy Spirit is going to mark the one promised Christ in such a way that we will know we can place our hope in him. Now, uh, the Holy Spirit doesn't always get much attention when we study the the Gospels of Jesus. But it is worth remembering that the Holy Spirit is very present in the story and life of Jesus. We're told in the Gospel of Luke that it was the Holy Spirit that brought about the conception of Jesus uh, through the virgin birth. We're told uh, that, that the Holy Spirit came upon Jesus in his baptism. We're told that the Holy Spirit drove Jesus out into the wilderness for the temptations. And then we're told that the Holy Spirit uh, was with Jesus as he began his public ministry. So we are told again and again that the Holy Spirit is there. Even though that the Holy Spirit is not mentioned repeatedly, the, these statements let us know that the Holy Spirit is constantly at work in the ministry of Jesus. And the reason that that is the case is to fulfill this prophecy of Isaiah eleven two. Isaiah tells us that the Spirit has placed a fourfold seal of authenticity upon Christ so that we can know him. This is an incredible gift that we have as Christians. Many times we spend uh, uh, our our time focusing just on the resurrection for why we should have hope and certainty in in Christ. And certainly the resurrection is, is powerful evidence. But the Spirit gives us in the ministry and the nature and the character that we see in Jesus, such a, a more developed and three-dimensional knowledge that Jesus is the one we can hope in. So the Spirit is his role, and the Spirit, and, the, and what we want to see today is how the Spirit has placed a fourfold seal of authenticity upon Christ so that we can know him. When we see these seals in, in Jesus, we can have certain hope that the one that, that can uh, face and, and, and answer our crises has come, that the one who can give hope to the world has come. So what are these different seals of authenticity, these four different seals of authenticity that lets us know that Jesus is the promised one? Let's go through them in turn. The, the first seal that we see is that is his anointing. His anointing is the first seal that the Holy Spirit has given to authenticate that Jesus is the Christ. Isaiah tells us the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. This is a critical piece of evidence of who the Messiah is, that the spirit of the Lord rests upon him. As you're familiar with the Old Testament, you will see that the spirit resting upon someone was a key mark, an essential mark of God choosing a leader to lead his people. You can go to Numbers chapter 11 and see that Moses had the Holy Spirit. Or you can go to 1 Samuel 16, 13, where you will read these words about uh, David becoming uh, anointed as king. 1 Samuel 16, 13. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. And Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. So, so a, a, a central mark of God's chosen leader is that the Holy Spirit rests upon him. And it is interesting, as uh, in Isaiah's day, king after king in the line of David are leading, but we are not told that the Holy Spirit rests upon these kings. And it is evident that the Holy Spirit is lacking as we see leadership that is continually Uh, focused away from God, focused towards self-interest and self-preservation. It is this awareness that the Holy Spirit must dwell upon the Savior, must dwell upon the Christ, that makes the baptism of Jesus such a significant event for our faith. Luke describes the baptism of Jesus as a visible event, that Jesus went out to, to the ministry of John in the River Jordan, and that when he went under the water, that, a, that, that the Holy Spirit in visible form, looking something like a dove, descended upon Jesus. And the clouds announced at the same time, this is my son with whom I am well pleased. This is Uh, an amazing event, but when we recognize that it is actually the fulfillment of Isaiah 11 2, we recognize its importance is even more than just saying Jesus' ministry has begun. Its significance is to tell us that Jesus is the Christ. John the Baptist, who was sent as a forerunner to Jesus, came to testify, and his, his whole ministry really boils down to this one moment. God sent the only prophet to Israel for 400 years to be prepared for one moment, the moment that Jesus, the Messiah, would come in front of him and he could testify, the Spirit of God has been given to me to point you to him, the one who is baptized with the Spirit. Look what what John tells us in the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verses 32 to 34. It says, John bore witness. I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, he on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain. This is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and borne witness that this is the Son of God. So God does not want this moment to be missed. This moment of Jesus' anointing does not happen in a corner. It happens in a public place. It happens visibly. And it happens before the eyes of the one and only prophet in Israel whose full commission was to point to the one and only person that received the Spirit in his ministry of baptism. This is a major moment in salvation history. Don't lose sight of how significant it is to have something happen in Jesus that was described 800 years earlier by another prophet. 800 years is the amount of time that is is, uh, appropriate for us to recognize it is the hand of God in this event, right? 800 years is outside of human scheming, outside of human cleverness, outside of human design. 800 years pass, and this event comes and fulfills it. Prophecy is such an amazing gift that God gave us to know who Jesus was and to know when the Christ came. But it's even bigger. So we, we, we've seen Jesus be uh, anointed, and we've seen other leaders like, like Moses and David be anointed, but But when we pay attention to the the anointing that Jesus receives by the Spirit and we see it in the words that John the Baptist testifies, the anointing of Jesus in the Spirit far exceeds any giving of the Spirit in the history of, of, of the world. What are we told that that Jesus has in the anointing of the Spirit? He is is not just one who has been given the gift of the Spirit, but he is, as John the Baptist says, uh, the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. Jesus is anointed so fully without measure, as it says elsewhere in Scripture, with the Spirit that he is gifted with the giving of the Spirit. To others. He is anointed to be the anointer of the Spirit, which is fascinating. Look at how Paul describes the way the gospel comes to us in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13. We are told, in him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. You see, Jesus is not just the one who receives the Holy Spirit. He is also now the one who gives the Holy Spirit. And when he gives the Holy Spirit, the giving of the Holy Spirit seals us into the gospel. So the Holy Spirit comes to be a seal of Jesus' and then the Holy Spirit becomes a seal to us in Jesus. Here's, here's something I want you to dwell upon before we go to our next point. Knowing Jesus is the Christ is not just a seal for revealing Christ, right? It is also a seal of our belonging to Christ, all right? The Holy Spirit reveals Christ to us, and the Holy Spirit also reveals Christ in us. Look at at what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 3. He says, therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. I've looked at those words in the past. I've looked at them for a while, and I've scratched my head. Paul says no one can say, no one is able to say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. And I'm like, well, that's not not true. The words Jesus is Lord are not magical words. Anybody can form their mouth and say those three words. Why, Why does Paul say no one can say except for the Holy Spirit being uh, there to give those words to the person. uh, Paul is not talking about physical ability. He is talking about speaking those words with faith, speaking those words from the heart. Knowing Jesus is Lord requires the Spirit to, to convince your heart Jesus is Lord. And so when we say Jesus is Lord from our heart, we are witnessing to the fact that Jesus has sealed the Holy Spirit in our heart. There is an an incredible amount of assurance that when crises come, that when hard times come, when confusing times come, that what comes out of your heart is faith in Jesus is trust in Jesus, is the confession, Jesus is Lord. Because that is telling you that you have not only seen Jesus sealed with the Holy Spirit, but you have also been sealed by Jesus with the Holy Spirit. So let me ask you, can you say Jesus is Lord from your heart? Can you confess Jesus is Lord, not just as words, but as, as the great peace of your life, as the great hope of your life? Then be encouraged that your hope is placed firmly in Christ and that Christ has sealed you in the Spirit. Now the second seal that we are given, the the second kind of data point of the fingerprint of the Messiah is his wisdom. Isaiah says that the Spirit of wisdom and understanding will be upon him. This This is the same Spirit. Isaiah is just unfolding the different attributes that come with the Spirit being upon the Messiah. The Messiah will manifest Wisdom and understanding because of the Spirit being upon him. Now, wisdom and understanding are referring to good leadership decisions, right? Wisdom and understanding are about making good decisions, making the right decisions. And we are well familiar with leaders in our Life, whether it be our our managers, whether it be the runners of of the companies we work at, whether it be uh, the, the presidents of whatever clubs we're in, whether it be the politicians that we have elected, we know bad decisions are rampant from the leaders that we have. Even though they make some good decisions, there are still lots. Of bad decisions. We, we don't have hardly, well, we don't. We don't have a leader that just bats a thousand, right? <laughs> I mean, that's the whole reason that there are negative ad campaigns, because everybody has dirt. Everybody has bad choices, bad decisions. There is nobody whose, whose decisions and leadership is unimpeachable. And my goodness, how true was that for Israel in Isaiah's day? I mean, Isaiah describes the state of leadership, as we saw last week, as a stump, as something that was dead, as something that was, was defeated. The, the leaders that Isaiah saw for his people were grifters, were liars, were, were takers from the poor. They were people who made treaties with vicious other countries that would ultimately oppress them. Israel's leaders were bad. And, and if you follow the history of Israel after Isaiah from, from being conquered from one kingdom to the next kingdom, it goes 800 years of bad leadership and of no leadership. And so the people of Israel were trained by many examples of bad leadership to look for a leader who had true Wisdom and understanding. Isaiah says this, this Messiah will be marked with wisdom and understanding. And the word understanding really is, is the word for discernment. So it is a way of saying that, that this person will have wisdom. He will, he will be wise in a general sense. And he will also be discerning. He will know exactly what is the right wisdom for each situation. So he will be known for making profoundly accurate, inappropriate choices. Do we see this this fingerprint evidence in Jesus? Do we see Jesus as a man of wisdom and understanding? When we look at his, his wisdom and his parables and his teachings, and we look at it in his interactions, we see a man who knows the right thing at every time, says the right thing at every time, who is so far wise and so far discerning above everyone else that he cannot be trapped, that he cannot be, be uh, tricked with his, his words turned against him. One of the stories that came to my mind as I was thinking about this was was the story in in the Gospel of John in chapter uh, 8 where Jesus is brought a woman who was caught in adultery by the religious leaders of the day, thrown in front of Jesus. And the religious leaders say to Jesus, this woman was caught in adultery. And the book of Moses, the word of God says that such a person must be stoned. So what are you going to do, Jesus? You want to be the the person who uh, uh, stands for the law, or are you going to be a false teacher who speaks against the law? Do you see the the dilemma? Jesus uh, is is put in a no-win situation where he must decide whether he shows that he is for the law and cost him his public ministry of reaching people like this adulteress with the hope of salvation by throwing stones... And, of course, also getting himself in trouble with the Roman authorities. Or he has to show himself as as breaking the law, as excusing his application of the law, which would violate his uh, righteousness. So he's on the horns of a dilemma. This is is what the the craftiest people in the first century who want to disprove and disrepute Jesus come with. And it's a no-win situation except that Jesus possesses wisdom and understanding that far exceeds any human leader known. What does he do? He reacts by by going into the sand and writing with his hand, and we're not told what he writes, but we're told as he writes, the people who came with this anger leave oldest to youngest. Many commentators suggest that he is writing down their sins and making it clear that they too have death penalties. If you, if you want to hear uh, from the true lawgiver, you too are Sabbath breakers. You too are adulterers. You too are uh, bribers and stealers. You too are covetors, Whatever. So that at the end, all of these people who had Jesus in the vice just disappear. And Jesus stands up to see that the woman is by himself. But listen to what Jesus says just before everyone leaves. He says, uh, let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. Do you see the way that his wisdom and understanding worked through a no-win situation to actually turn the tables and to actually present grace as opposed to the the rigid death of the law? This is our Messiah. Jesus was filled with the Spirit. Everywhere we look, we see a man who does things right, right? Now, as we think about this, this prophecy, and as we think about Jesus, and we know that Jesus is, is the Son of God, we know that Jesus is the second member of the Trinity, we understand this from, um, uh, from multitudes of scriptures, we may ask ourselves the very reasonable question, why, why does the second member of the Trinity, why does Jesus, the Son of God, need the Holy Spirit for wisdom wisdom? and understanding for counsel and might? Doesn't he possess that within himself? Why does the Holy Spirit have to guide him? It's a good question. If you hadn't answered it yet, haven't, hadn't asked it yet, it's a good question. <laughs> I'll give it, I'll take credit. Um, why does Jesus need the Holy Spirit? This reveals such a, important aspect of the ministry of Jesus. And it reminds us that Jesus' ministry here on earth was the ministry done through the incarnation, right? The incarnation is that that God dwelled in human flesh, that Jesus possessed a fully human nature and a fully divine nature. He was God and man together, but when he lived as a man amongst us, the, 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 the wisdom and understanding for Jesus the man was given through relying on the Holy Spirit. So what what we actually have to, 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 to grasp is that Jesus, as fully human, had to grow in wisdom and understanding. Look look at the Gospel of Luke, one of the stories of of Jesus growing up. It says, Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. How does that happen? That, That is not referring to his divine nature. That is referring to his human nature being trained up by the Holy Spirit to walk in wisdom and understanding before God and man. And so Jesus lived under the leadership of the Holy Spirit according to his humanity. This is so important for us to grasp because to be our substitute, to be the person who can stand in our place, the righteousness that Jesus uh, receives through his life had to be fulfilled as one of us, as a human. Right? How did he then fulfill righteousness? He fulfilled righteousness by following the Spirit. His righteousness, his wisdom and understanding as a human came through his following the Spirit. We're, we need to marvel at this truth. Sometimes in um, in our conversations, we Uh, Collapse the divine side of Jesus over uh, the human side so that we really only think about Jesus as divine. But we need to always make sure we hold together that he is fully divine and fully human. And it really applies to this issue. We don't just say, well, Jesus was righteous, Jesus was perfect because he was God. That's not really the answer to, to why Jesus is our Savior. We say Jesus was righteous, the man was righteous, because he was led by the Holy Spirit. You see, Jesus accomplished perfect righteousness by being led by the Spirit. His human nature always did what was right because it walked by the Spirit go to galatians 5:16 and see this through this lens. Galatians 5:16 says, "But I say, walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh." What the incarnation tells us is that Jesus is the perfect application, the perfect fulfillment of Galatians 5:16. His righteousness is because he walked by the Spirit and thereby never sinned. But that was a righteousness that came by constantly walking by the Spirit. So his righteousness was not just something in default mode. His righteousness was something he lived out and preserved through the 10,000 decisions that we face every single day. And he uh, surpassed all of those decisions with wisdom and understanding and righteousness because he was fully submitted to the Holy Spirit. Here's what what this means theologically. Jesus fulfilled all righteousness by trusting God and obeying him perfectly through his human nature. Right? Right? Now, here's an application of that for you to to chew on. We look to Jesus as both the accomplisher of our faith and the example for our faith. Jesus accomplished the righteousness that we could not because he followed the Holy Spirit in his human nature perfectly. But at the same time, as we look at what does it mean to live by the Holy Spirit, we look to Jesus. He He is someone that we seek to live like in his his, uh, obedience. So the first seal was his anointing, the second seal was his wisdom. Now the third seal we look at is his ministry. Isaiah says that this one who bears the fingerprint of the Messiah will, will show the spirit of counsel and might. Again, the same spirit, but new attributes of counsel and might. How many times have we experienced the people who have good ideas have absolutely no power Right? They can't can't get their good idea done because nobody gives them the power to do it. That's good counsel. We have lots of people who have, have good counsel, but for whatever circumstances, they're kept away from being able to put their counsel into action. On the flip side, we have lots of examples of people with really bad counsel who have a lot of power, right? And so this is really a description of. What's so, so difficult in our world is the, the good ideas don't get done and the bad ideas get done because the power is given to the wrong people and the wrong places. And so we live in a world of havoc. Good counsel and the power to get it done are rarely put together. Yeah, that was a little bit late, but that's, that's good. That would have been funny about a minute and a half ago, but that's okay, that's okay. It's hard, it's hard uh, two minds to do one thing, see? Um, But here's the thing. When we reflect on Jesus, we do see the perfect marriage of counsel and might. I mean, Jesus faces questions that, 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 that that confounded people He faces tricksters who try to trap him with his words. He faces demons and armies of demons. He faces diseases that are still incurable today. He even faces death, several uh, 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 cases of, of dead people being brought in front of him. And he addresses each of these situations Perfectly, not just with the right word, but with the power to do just exactly what needs to be done. Jesus is the one that we see the fingerprint of the Messiah because he has all right counsel and the right power to accomplish his ministry without fail. My favorite verse from the Gospel of Mark, may very well be Mark seven thirty seven. 37. I, I, I love these words. And they were astonished beyond measure, saying, he has done all things well. This was the testimony of the people who saw Jesus' ministry. He has done all things well. We have no criticism. We have no complaint. We have nothing that we can improve upon. Whatever he has done is marked with perfection and completeness and righteousness. So amazingly proficient and so amazingly gifted with the prowess to accomplish what he does. These people say they were astonished beyond measure, which is Mark heaping words together to, to, to express they were so flabbergasted, I can't even put it in words. <coughs> People were amazed. Like when the Hail Mary pass gets caught, except the Hail Mary pass gets caught 50 times in a row. <laughs> this, this is what they were experiencing And the testimony of those who saw Jesus said, he has the fingerprint of the spirit. He does all things well. He does things with perfect counsel and might. So take stock of this. We are, I know, 20 centuries from being eyewitnesses. But take stock of this. This is something that... that matters to the formation and firmness of our faith. Who else is like Jesus? Who else in the 20 centuries since Jesus came has rivaled him in reputation? Who could you compare Jesus to? Who in all history could you say, if Jesus isn't the Messiah, the runner-up would be this person? There isn't even a second in line when we look at the ministry of Jesus. In 20 centuries, we cannot put up someone to say, if there's a debate on the issue, I propose it could be this person instead of Jesus. That doesn't exist. That is incredible historical evidence that the ministry of Jesus was elevated above all ministry, that it bears the fingerprint of the Spirit of God. I love the quote of Carnegie Simpson, who who recognizes the uniqueness of Jesus. He says, instinctively, we do not class him with others. When one reads his name in a list, beginning with Confucius and ending with Goethe, we feel it is an offense Less against orthodoxy than decency. Jesus is not one of a group of the world's greats. Talk about Alexander the Great and Charles the Great and Napoleon the Great, if you will. Jesus is a part, he is not the great, he is the only. This is the power of this evidence. The purpose, what is the purpose of all of Jesus' ministry of doing all things well? It is so that we can, like Peter, look at Jesus in the Gospels and answer the question, who do you say that I am? And be able to say without any doubt, you are the Christ. The fourth seal that we see upon Jesus by the Spirit is his faithfulness, his faithfulness. The spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord is upon him. Why had Israel become a stump? Why do we all feel a stump in our own lives of of unmet expectations, of unmet hopes, of failures, of defeat, of diminishment? Of despair. Why is there a stump in every single one of us? It is because all of us, to one degree or another, have chosen to fear man and not God. The, the leadership of Israel feared Assyria more than they feared God. We choose selfishness and sin over faithfulness over and over again. And the consequence of that is that we experience the stump. Every leader that we look to is really just a stump in the making because at some point, at some critical point in their leadership, they will choose self. They will choose sin and they will fail. So what do we need in a leader? What do we need in a leader? We need one who loves God with all his heart, mind, soul, and strength, and with his whole life. That is the only person who can lead us not selfishly, not sinfully, but towards our maker, towards our genuine purpose, towards hope and glory. And there is no such leader on this earth who loves God with all his heart, mind, soul, and strength, your own pastor included. I haven't even met the day with all of that. So what do we need? We need one who is filled, as Isaiah prophesies, with the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. Do we see this most important impression of the fingerprint of the Spirit upon the Messiah? What do we know of Jesus' life? Our earliest words of Jesus come from Luke, Chapter 2, which speaks of him as a a 12 year old boy. And his words at the beginning of, 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 of his adolescence, he said to them, Why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? Our earliest testimony of Jesus is that he felt his duty was to be in his father's house. What were his very last words? What were the last things he said before dying? We go to John chapter 19, verse 30, and we're told he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. It is finished. It's his words of saying, I have done it all. I have completed it. And what is the it? It is the will of God. It is finished are his last words. John 6:38 describes Jesus' own sense of purpose, own sense of mission. In, these, uh, in this verse he says, "I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. That was his purpose. And as we look upon his life, as we look upon his testimony, as we listen to his witnesses, we can only say, mission accomplished. Right? Jesus is the only one who loved God with all of his heart, with all of his mind, with all of his soul, with all of his strength from beginning to end. He is the only one whose faithfulness was perfect, who had no gap, who had no misstep, who had no slip. This one is the one sealed with a life of faithfulness, sealed with the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. So we look at all of this. We look at this four-fold seal of authenticity. Jesus has the anointing of the Spirit. He has the wisdom of the Spirit. He has the ministry of the Spirit, and He has the faithfulness of the Spirit of God upon Him. He is a fingerprint match. Those who know Jesus through the Gospels have a confident hope that He is the one brought by God to save us from our sins. Yes, the resurrection is powerful evidence, but add to that, he is the one we were looking for. He has the DNA. His fingerprint is established so that we can know him as the one who saves This fourfold seal is preserved perfectly in the Gospels. So what? What does that mean? Pick up and read. Pick up and read. If you are dealing with crises of faith, pick up and read about the one who fulfills prophecy. If you are feeling Uh, astray, if you are lacking personal direction, if you have questions about what am I doing with my life, pick up and read and learn from the one who has all wisdom and understanding. If you are overwhelmed and fearful as you live in this world or with the circumstances around you, pick up and read about the one who has been given all counsel and might. If you feel lost Or far from God, pick up and read and put your trust in the one whose faithfulness covers all of your failures and reconciles you once and all to God. Pick up and read so that you can know that Jesus is the one the way, the truth, and the life. Sincerely, what if we use this Advent season to give ourselves a challenge to pick up and read? In fact, I would suggest that if you took the Gospel of Matthew today and committed to reading two chapters a day, you will finish reading the Gospel of Matthew on Christmas Eve. What a better way to participate in the hope of Advent than to read and be impressed with the fingerprint of the Messiah upon our Savior through the words of Scripture. Beloved, pick up and read Matthew. And as you read, ask the Spirit to seal the good news of Christ into your hearts. Amen?